We talk about coaching a lot on this show, but when you're actually sitting in front of someone, what do you say? On today's show, the questions that you can ask that will absolutely help you coach more effectively. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 237. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions that will help you to develop your leadership skills. And speaking of leaders not being born and being made, one of the key skill sets for that is how we can be more effective as coaches. And not only us being open ourselves as leaders to being coached, but also being able to do that coaching for others. And coaching is one of those terms that is, although we all agree that it's important, it is one of those things that sometimes we don't really know what to do practically with it. And we've heard we need to be good coaches as leaders, and yet sometimes it's hard to know where to start. And that's why I'm really glad to welcome today's guest, because he's going to really help to provide a little more insight for each one of us of what we can do practically to become more effective in our coaching skills and specifically how we can really utilize great questions. And my guest today is Michael Bungay-Stanier. He is the founder and senior partner of Box of Crayons, a company that helps organizations all over the world do less good work and more great work. And he has written a number of books. The best known, with almost 100,000 copies sold, is Do More Great Work. But the one he's proudest of is End Malaria, a collection of essays on great work with leading thinkers, which has raised over $400,000 for Malaria No More. Michael was also the first Canadian coach of the year, which is not bad for an Australian. And just so you know, he's human too. Apparently, he was banned from his high school graduation for some kind of balloon incident, and then later sued by one of his law school lecturers for defamation. Michael, I think you're probably not the first person that's gotten banned from a high school graduation, but you got sued by a law school prof? What the heck happened, man? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a slightly long and slightly tawdry story, but we were protesting against a certain way he was teaching some part of the law, in part because he was using a story of a woman getting raped, which wasn't necessary or appropriate. And so there's a group of us complained about it. I don't know why I was the lead on that, but somehow I was, and it all deteriorated rapidly. So, <laughs> wow. yeah, you know, I, it's a good thing for the entire world that I didn't become a lawyer. It was, wouldn't have been a happy fit for anybody, I think. You know, it's so funny, like how I think sometimes when I talk to people, and even as I've been doing the show over the years, I've had the privilege of talking with so many people who are doing great things in, your, in their careers like you have. And sometimes it's easy to forget that we're all human. <laughs> We've also all right. had really weird and odd things happen in our lives, too, that haven't necessarily gone according to plan. And so thanks for the reminder on that in your bio. I no, appreciate and that. You know, honestly, I mean, there's a quote I love. I think it's from Oscar Wilde. And he says, anybody's story, anybody's biography that doesn't have a failure just can't be trusted because obviously they're lying through their teeth. Mm. So it's like we've all got the left-hand turn that we thought was going to be the right-hand turn, the kind of the scars we've collected. And actually, that's what actually makes it so interesting. You know, there's a saying I love, which is wisdom enters through the wound. 
And it's, you know, in the scars, that's, that's where we kind of accumulate the learning and the smarts and the kind of capacity and compassion that we have as managers and leaders and human beings. Well, you have totally motivated me to go online later and see if I can update my bio with some failures yeah. on there. But that's not the topic of our conversation today. Right, right. <laughs> so you have written this new book, and um, I, I love it. And we'll talk more about it in just a moment. But before we get into the details of the book, one of the things I, I think would be <laughs> smart for us to have some some conversation about is just what coaching is, because it, yeah. it's accepted these days at least by most leaders, that they need to be coaches. They've heard that term. They've tried to be coaches, and they try to use coaching skills. But I'm not sure that most leaders really have a good sense of what coaching means. I think sometimes as coaches, we don't even necessarily have a good a good sense of sometimes what every aspect of coaching means. How do you see yeah. coaching today? Well, you know, there's good reasons why everybody's slightly confused as to what we're talking about because, you know, having done the research, I can actually say to you that I think there's as many definitions for coaching as there are people selling coaching. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just there's a thousand different definitions. They're all similar, but um, I'll tell you the two ways that I think about coaching that might be useful for the folks listening in. The first comes from a guy actually in the UK, uh, one of the fathers, if you like, of the coaching profession. His name is Sir John Whitmore. He kind of popularized the GROW model that people may have come across. And John says this, he goes, look, coaching is helping people to unlock their own potential. That's very nice. And the second thing he says, which I really like, is it's helping people learn rather than teaching them. Uh, and for me, that's a really useful piece of distinction because teaching them tends to bring to mind that kind of that download of the answer. I've got the, the solution. I've got the idea. I've got the opinion. Let me give it to you with all good intentions but I'm going to tell you what the answer is. Whereas helping people learn is a more subtle act, and it's fundamentally about asking the good question rather than giving them the advice. Now, the way we, we talk about the cycle of coaching in Box of Crayons, my company, is look, three parts to it. Insight, and insight can be about insight about yourself or about the situation at hand. Insight leads to action, you know, positive behavior change. You actually do something differently as a result of that. Positive behavior change leads to increased impact. And hopefully increased impact then kind of feeds back on itself and generates new insight and new and new awareness. So after all of that you've got, you know, helping people learn rather than teaching them, you've got insight leads to action, leads to impact. When it comes down to it, honestly Dave, I think Here's the fundamental behavior change that I'm trying to create in our, in our programs and also through our book. It's simply just slow down on the advice giving and stay curious just a little bit longer. It's as simple and as difficult as that. A little less advice, a little more curiosity. I love that. And I, that, that core skill of being curious, such an important skill for a right. leader, a coach, really in any relationship too. So I, I love that you're zeroing in on that. And I mentioned that I really en- enjoyed picking up this book. And I think one of the challenges that a lot of us have when we start thinking about coaching is, well, where do we start? We've heard we should ask questions. We heard we should use coaching right. skills, but but what are some of those questions? And what I what I really like about the book is you've zeroed in on seven questions that we can use as leaders and coaches 
that will help to really frame that kind of a conversation. And the other thing I really like too, for people who don't always read every book start to finish, is you've not it's only everybody, it, which yeah. is everybody, right? Or at least, yeah. unfortunately, I, I like to try, but I don't always get to all yeah, the things. Yeah. But you've made the key points really bold in the book. I mean, you can't possibly page through the book and not see some really key things. And and one of the things that's in huge font in the book. And I was thinking about this this week because we have I have a client who's working through this this thing right now is the quote you mentioned, as soon as you try something new, you'll get resistance. Tell me more about right. that. Well, you know, it's one of the frustrations, but truisms of life, which is, you know, for all of us in our organizational life, the people who are listening into this podcast right now are doing so because there's something about the status quo that they don't, they'd rather improve. You know, our organization could be better. I've got higher ambitions for myself as a leader, for my leadership team, for the people around me. We're trying to evolve. We're trying to become different from our competitors. We're trying to become a, uh, an organization where we have more impact and where we do work that has more meaning. So you can imagine that all of that's going through the names of the beating in the heart of the people who are listening into this conversation. But the thing is, your organization is a system. And the very nature of a system is that it loves its own system. You know, it's set up to kind of perpetuate, here's the way we do things around here. And so, uh, that, you know, the, the fancy word for that is homeostasis. We just, you know, we like the status quo. And the thing about a system is as soon as you push into it, it pushes back. Hmm. You know, that works at that kind of bigger level, say this is how our organization works. But it also works at a more kind of specific level. So as the people listening in, they think about, let's say, their direct reports and the relationships with their direct reports and the way things work at the moment. And I'm sure it's not disastrous. I'm sure it works just fine at the moment. But if you're thinking to yourself, look, I want to up my game here. I want them to be more autonomous. I want them to be more self-sufficient. I want them to feel more creative. I want to let go of my need to control and micromanage and kind of have my fingers in every pie. As soon as you start thinking about changing that, you will create resistance to that very act because you'll feel the resistance that's uncomfortable for you. They'll feel the resistance. You're changing things around them as well. And so that's just part of the natural process of working within a system. As soon as you start changing stuff, it starts pushing back. That's a great expectation because it, it it's so true. Anything worth doing is going to run into that that pushback, those obstacles, and right. and organizational right. changes is as challenging because of that. And I think that that scares a lot of leaders initially who haven't done that before. That oh wow, I'm getting pushback on this, and it's almost like you should be concerned if you're not getting pushback on something when you're well, trying to do something I, I, new. I like the way you frame that. You know, pushback is going to happen. And the thing is, what's nice about this insight is once you get pushback, one of the things that you can come to understand about that is that it's often not even personal. <laughs> it's not really about you. And it's not really about what you're trying to achieve. It's just a systemic reaction to what's going on. Yeah. But as you push back, I mean, here's the thing. You know, in a previous book, uh, a book I wrote called Do More Great Work about five years ago, I say, look, everything you do in life falls into one of three different buckets. It's either bad work, good work, or great work. Very simple little model. Bad work is the work that is kind of the waste of time, life-sucking bureaucracy work. Everybody, everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say that. 
good work is like your job description. So productive, efficient, getting things done, what your boss wants you to do, what your boss's boss wants you to do, what your board wants you to do. And then great work is the work that has more impact and the work that has more meaning. Mm. So it's the work that's more strategic, kind of blue ocean strategy. Just so the work that's more engaging kind of connects to your heart as well as to your head. It's a really fabulous overview of where you're where you're trying to get people to go as far as how to utilize this well. And I'm wondering if maybe we could get into some of the tactical pieces of this because you've identified seven questions that are really helpful to people. And I, I think if we share a few of these, that'll be helpful as far as giving people something they can walk away with specifically. Yeah, yeah. But but even before we get into the first one, one of the things you, you also, I, I noticed you have in the book prominently here is just ask one question at a time. Yeah. What, why that direction? Well, in the book, there's actually eight little kind of master classes on how to ask a question well, because it's, it's simple, but it's difficult. You know, not many people actually do ask a question well. And here's the kind of the summary, here's probably all, most of the eight points kind of mushed into a single kind of flurry here. It's like, pick a good question. Ask it. Just ask it once. Don't add a whole lot of other questions on there. Once you've asked the question, now shut up and genuinely listen to the answer. Okay? Then when you've heard the answer, respond perhaps with another question, perhaps with something else. Now that all sounds pretty straightforward, but here's what most people do. First of all, they just they they really ask a, a good question. You know, in fact, sometimes they ask fake questions. These are questions that sound like "Have you thought of?" or "Have you considered?" Which, by the way, isn't a question at all. That's just advice with a question mark attached on the end. Okay, and then they go, "I've asked a question." But you know what? There was one quarter of a second silence, so they didn't have an answer immediately. So now I'm feeling anxious about that because it probably means that it wasn't a good question. So I'll ask another question, then I'll ask another question, and then I'll ask another question. So whilst you're trying to figure out what question you want to ask, the other person's now confused and overwhelmed by that. And then, of course, once you've asked the question and they're starting to answer it, you're doing your fake active listening. So what do I mean by fake active listening? Well, we all know what active listening looks like. So, you know, you, you tip your head to the side a little bit. You furrow your brow just a little bit so you look concerned yet interested. Uh, you nod your head and you make small kind of grunting noises of encouragement. But actually, you're not listening to them at all. You've got wrestling around your head as maybe a conversation about what are you going to have for dinner and when do you get to leave work? Or maybe it's, What's the next question I should be asking this person? Uh, how, what should I be engaging them with? Rather than actually just listening to the answer. And I just want to contrast that where, you know, if you're listening to this, think of a time when somebody has actually been really present with you when they've asked a question and then they've given you their full attention to listen to the answer. My bet is that most people can pull up one of those moments because it's powerful and it's rare. And you say in the book, silence is often a measure of success. And that strikes me oh. as being directly related to this. It totally is. Because here's the thing, you know, when we ask a question, so often the reaction we get is a heartbeat or two of silence. And it freaks us out. Because we're thinking to ourselves, Oh no, they don't know the answer. What do I, I've asked a terrible question. I, you know, I've lost control of this conversation. But what's perfect 
about silence is is probably one of two things. One is you're you're actually forcing them to think about the answer. If you're present with them, you can actually tell what's happening because their eyes will kind of sneak upwards towards the ceiling as they kind of tap back into their brain to try and figure out what the answer to that is. So you actually got them thinking. And when you've got them thinking, they're actually now making new neural connections in their pathways. They're, they're literally increasing their capacity and their potential by new neural pathways and new neural connections being made. The other, the other thing just to share is this, and anybody who's been interested in the Susan Cain book, Quiet, and the kind of rise of that insight about introverts and how they work, one of the insights to share about introverts is they just take a little bit longer to articulate what they're thinking. And one of the things that a silence can do is merely be a measurement that you're giving a person a chance to figure out their answer before they speak it out loud to you. I love that advice. And as in a leadership role or in a coaching role, we just limit people's ability to do that when we interrupt or answer our own question, which I I know I've caught myself doing and I've seen many people do. Right. Because we're so, so many of us are uncomfortable with silence, aren't we? And, you know, it's not unreasonable because here's the thing. When you are in advice-giving mode, one of the things that we point out in the book and in our programs as well is just how fast we all tend to twitch into that solution-giving, advice-providing mode. When we're in giving advice, look, even though it's honestly probably the wrong advice, and they're probably not even listening that well to it, and they're probably not going to even implement it, even though all of that's true, it's kind of comfortable to give advice. Because when you are giving advice, you actually have control of the situation. Like you're like, A, you're the smart person in this conversation because you've got the answer. B, you feel like you're adding value because you're actually telling them stuff. C, you, you've got control over the conversation. You know where it's going. You know how it's going to end. It's a pretty comfortable place to be hanging out. When you, st- when you change and you ask a question, suddenly things get a bit more ambiguous. You've asked a question, but you've given control to them now to answer. So they have control. They have the power in the conversation. You know, you're thinking to yourself, was that a good question? Did it land? Did it make sense? Wait, what sort of answer are they going to come up with? Is it going to be a good answer? Is it going to be some crazy answer that could go take us anywhere? Am I going to know how to respond to their answer? There's a number of uncertainties that show up that just make it a lot less comfortable for you to be the person answering the question. So, you know, we're bad at asking a question and hold the silence, but in truth, it's because partly we're wired to try and avoid that ambiguity. Well, that's a great lead into to the first question you have on the list. And I think there's a danger in people hearing some of these questions and thinking like, oh, that's just too simple or that's too obvious. But it's really what we like, what we then do with this question. And so the first question that you recommend is, just asking, what's on your mind? Why, yeah. why start there? And, and you know, I hope people hear that and they go, oh, that is simple. Because what I want people to do is go, you know what, I can actually do that. You know, that's not too hard. I can ask, and what's, you know, what's on your mind? That's relatively straightforward. It gets back to what you just said a little bit ago, which is 
it's not about our agenda. I mean, that's a core concept in coaching, but but really from a leadership standpoint too, if we really want to serve someone well and help them to develop their skills, you know, we have an agenda certainly there, of course, but we also want to really find out from someone, you know, what do they need right now? And people who are right. gonna who are willing to engage with us and are and have that motivation to want to move on and to become more effective in their work are 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 thinking that they know that. So by asking a question like what's on your mind, that brings the relevant question or topic right into the conversation pretty immediately. Right. So our fundamental belief based on research is this. If you can't coach in 10 minutes or less, you really don't actually have time to coach. But uh, so partly I want people to hear that because I want them to go, look, coaching can be this fast, efficient, everyday way of working. But if you're going to coach in 10 minutes or less, you can't spend the first eight minutes of a conversation kind of meandering towards the real topic. You've actually got to get there fast. And what's on your mind has this ability to say to the other person, look, your agenda, your choice, your autonomy, tell me where we should start. Tell me what we should talk about. What's on your mind? But, you know, it's got a degree of focusing as well. It's not saying, so tell me anything you want or just recite the same old boring stuff. It's saying, talk to me about the stuff you're excited about or anxious about, or overwhelmed about. Talk to me about that so we can get into the meat of the issue fast. So part of what's great about what's on your mind is, A, it gives control to the other person, so it increases their autonomy, self-sufficiency, their ability to grow. But you're also guiding them. You say, come on, let's go somewhere important here. What's on your mind? I love it. I love it. And I, and I really was interested in the next question, too, which is also very much the, uh, it almost seems very simple. And yet, as I got thinking about it, I was like, oh, that's really powerful. And this, the, the awe question you say is extremely powerful. And the awe question yeah. is, and what else? In our programs, we go, look, this is the best coaching question in the world. You can feel it when you kind of introduce it like that. It is this kind of a, intake of breath as people go, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be exciting. This is going to be profound. So, you know, pens are poised over paper, fingers are poised over keyboards, and they're waiting for the big reveal. And I go, here it is, the all question, A-W-E, because that's the acronym of the three words in the question, A-W-E, and what else? And you can feel this kind of disappointed sigh echo <laughs> through the world. And you're like, what? Well, that's it. And what is that it? Are you really? But let me tell everybody listening why I think and what else is such a powerful coaching question. The starting point is this. The first answer that somebody gives you is almost never the only answer and it's rarely the best answer. Mm. And that's a really powerful insight because as managers and leaders, which is kind of twitchiness to leap to action, we tend to have this assumption that that first answer is the thing, so let's run with that. So, and what else, you can see it as a way of supercharging any other question. You know, you ask, what's on your mind? And you go, good, what else is on your mind? Okay, is there anything else on your mind? Okay, so where should we start? What's really on your mind here? You see how just that little kind of one, two, three, four script just already kind of expands but then deepens the conversation. 
you know, we go to the third question, the focus question. What's the real challenge here for you? So what is the real challenge here for you? Okay. And what else is the real challenge? Okay. And what else is a real challenge? Is, okay, is there anything else here that's a real challenge for you? Okay. So what's the real challenge here for you? Again, and what else expands the options? It makes them think, but then it allows you to come back and focus as well. The other piece of magic, Dave, around and what else is a question is it is a self-management tool because it stops you leaping in to jump in and fix things and offer solutions and answers and insights and all that good stuff that you're so triggered to do, you're so keen to do to add value. But I can say this, if you're stopped and you've asked the question and what else, what that means is they're doing the work. One of the kind of the core, almost counterintuitive concepts of this book is we want people to become lazy coaches. Lazy because we want the other person to be doing the work. Because when they're doing the work, they're actually unlocking their own potential. You're helping them to learn rather than teaching them. Just to connect back to that John Whitmore quote. This is fabulous. And one of the things I really like is that you've you've laid out all these questions. And I facilitate mastermind groups as part of our community here, Michael. And I'm, I'm actually going to probably take the page here and paste it on my monitor next time we start facilitating here because the the oh, questions nice. are really the questions are really powerful and I find myself asking some of these but not nearly with the intention you've you've put here and uh, really powerful at getting us, us thinking that way and I I love the strategic question too and I'm wondering if you could say something yeah. about about that and and the question the, the strategic question is if you're saying yes to this what are you saying no to yeah, I mean, you know, strategy is just one of those phrases, one of those words, an adjective that kind of gets overused. So as soon as you want something to sound more important than it is, you just call it strategic. You know, we're not having a meeting anymore. We're not having a strategic meeting. Mm, okay. <laughs> we're, so we're not true. just doing a podcast interview. This is actually a strategic podcast interview. Yeah, ah, of course. Okay. I'm not just eating a donut. This is a strategic donut. Ah, okay. Well, good. <laughs> Fantastic. So strategy is just one of those words that kind of can mean anything really. But for me, it's about helping staying focused on the stuff that matters the most. Yeah, coming, coming back to that those definitions of those three types of work I shared earlier, bad work, good work, and great work. You know, I think of strategy in some ways going, what's the right combination between good work and great work? The combination that best serves you or your team or your business unit or your organization. Yeah. said, look, focus is not saying yes, it's saying no to the thousands of good ideas that are out there. And I once heard a definition of strategy that was, in its essence, Strategy is being able to say no to the stuff you really want to say yes to, right? And I love that because it speaks to, look, it's, I mean, we're all okay at saying no to the stuff that we don't really want to do, but do you have the courage and the discipline to say no to the stuff that you kind of do want to do? And the thing is, when you say no to something, you're actually saying no to someone. And that's where it gets even trickier because it's not just saying no to an opportunity, you're saying no to the person who's making or offering or creating that opportunity for you. So that's what the purpose of this question is, is it's to make that choice clear so the opportunity cost is clear. Mm, that's awesome. And and, and I, I get the sense we're starting to get a better, 
appreciation for that in organizations. And I'm, I'm seeing more articles on this concept. In fact, I just saw something on Harvard Business Review in the last day or two of, you know, how do you, how do you stop saying yes to the things that really aren't going to help you long-term? And right. I'm thinking about Greg McEwen's book, Essentialism, and just well, what's, yeah, exactly. what's really key and essential and part of being good at that is figuring out, you know, what do you, if you're, if you're going to do this, you're not going to be able to do anything else with that time and the resources you're, you're investing in this and, and getting people thinking about that, getting all of us thinking about that, not only from a professional standpoint, but even personally too, is really, oh, really absolutely. valuable. And, you know, it's hard. I mean, it's, this has been around for a while. I mean, gosh, you know, you don't, you don't even have to go back as far as Stephen Covey and the whole urgent, important matrix that he talked about. Yeah. You know, Greg McCune these days with essentialism. It's a core competency to say, what will I say no to? And part of the choice when you say, I'm going to step up to this ability to do this, is a willingness to say, I'm willing not to be liked by everybody for the sake of having greater impact in the work that I do. If you want everybody to like you, then one really good way is just to keep saying yes to everybody. Uh, If you're willing to say, I'm willing to trade that discomfort of not being liked by everybody to be clear on what matters most, then that's often where really powerful opportunities open up for you. Yeah, indeed, indeed. This last question, the learning question. And yes. the learning question is what was most useful for you? And and that comes toward the, you know, toward the end of the conversation. So yeah. this is really an interesting one to me, Michael, because I had learned this question early on. I don't know if it was in leadership training or coach training or somewhere. And I had used it for many years. And then I was in a coaching certification class and we were doing a practice, you know, practice coaching session. And I asked this question as part of the practice session. And after we were done, every observer in the room said, don't ask that question. That's all about the coach. That's all about the leader of, of trying to validate what, what good work they did. And, yeah. and so I didn't ask it for a while. And then I found I've started asking it again. And I found that it's a really helpful question. And I try not to, it, to be about me, but I really am curious what people are taking away. And it's not often what I think. And, and sometimes by asking the question, it helps them to zero in on what am I actually walking away with from this conversation? So tell me more about that. I'm guessing you're in the same boat I am just because it's here in the book. Is there a right and a wrong way to ask this? And and how do you, how do you frame this when you're trying to think of how to help people to really get value? Well, look, I, I think there's truth to say in whose service am I asking a question? Because sometimes you're asking a question is more helpful for you than it is for that other person. But, you know, I, I really disagree with what your observers were saying, and, and I'll tell you why. First is, when you ask somebody, so what was most useful here for you, you're helping them extract value from the conversation that they will otherwise miss. Okay, because people don't learn when they say something, they don't learn when they hear something, they don't even really learn when they do something. They learn when they have a moment to reflect on what just happened. You know, that's just good adult learning. And the fact that your observers didn't know that reflects poorly on them, if I can be that bold, talking about people who I don't even know. So yeah, there we go. (laughs) But you know what? I also think that the fact that it serves you is fine because this is a relationship. It's not you just delivering value to the other person. If you hear that from them, what was most useful or valuable here, what you're now getting is feedback So the next time you have that conversation with that person, 
it actually becomes something that you're more aware of and you could do things a little differently as a result of that. So if you are truly in service to the other person, then it really behooves you to understand what works and what doesn't. So you can do more of the first stuff and less of the second stuff. But here's the other kind of the twist in this. When you ask somebody what was most useful or most valuable in this conversation, you've actually framed it in a slightly cunning way. You haven't said, was there anything useful or valuable, which kind of sets up a yes or a no. You've asked them what was most useful or most valuable. So you're actually framing every experience with you as a useful, valuable experience. Now, obviously that serves you, but I think it also serves the other person, which is that they now go, you know what, when I have my regular conversations with Dave, I look forward to it, I show up to it, I prepare for it, I think about it, because I know these are useful, valuable conversations. Mm. And you're actually helping them with that. Yeah, I like that. You know, the, the, the connection I'd make is, it's just the way human beings are wired. And I saw this a, a recent article, which is you know, a picture of a hamburger and fries, which is like a $20 hamburger and fries. And the person going, you know what? People just enjoy a $20 hamburger and fries more because of course they are. If they've just spent $20 on a hamburger and fries, this is going to be a damn good hamburger and fries. And it becomes a self-reinforcing piece. So tap into that psychology, which is to say, allow people to start seeing you as a useful, valuable, powerful manager, leader, coach, because they will then benefit more from their conversations. I've got to say, I'm totally on your side there. I think the people who are giving you guidance there missed the boat. Well, Michael, I always knew you were smart, intelligent, and wise because you're agreeing with me. So I just, just confirmation bias is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Yeah. And, he, and here's what I would say to, to the folks listening in. Let's put this question to test. So in the appropriate place on Dave's blog or on his website or to send him emails, why don't you give him feedback now on what was most useful and most valuable about this conversation? I mean, I know, you know, I'm a, I run a podcast myself. I always love to hear from my readers, and it doesn't happen as often as I would like. So this is your chance as a listener to say, look, just whip up your email or jump on the blog or whatever it is and give Dave feedback. What was most useful or most valuable about this podcast interview? Awesome. Well, we'll wait to hear it and we'll have the link at the end of the show. And of course, people can always go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback as well. And as you were talking, Michael, I just totally defaced your book. I was holding it in my hands here and I was thinking, oh, I should pull out this page here that's got all seven questions on here and literally tape it up. And it's perforated. So it came out beautifully. And I'm going to put this up on my screen because I really, I mean, it's one of those things where sometimes it's so simple that we overcomplicate it and just having yeah. a reminder of what are some key guideposts? Not that we're doing the all and end all to be all of coaching by by yeah. asking these questions, but boy, it sure is a great starting point. If you can frame your conversations around these seven <laughs> questions, uh, man, I mean, I think that this is yeah. a great guide for a lot of leaders on how to start. And, and, and that's one of the things I love about the book. It's real practical from that well, standpoint. Well, look, here's an offer for folks. If they buy a copy of the book, on that website, there's, a, there's an email address, and all you've got to do is email your receipt to that email address, and what we will send you back are kind of nicely designed posters with two things on it. Poster number one, it's got the seven questions laid out for you, so you can kind of have that up and accessible in your cubicle or in your folder or wherever. 
The second thing that we share is the new habit formula. So that's all about, here's the mechanic, the mechanism to convert insight, these questions, into action, a daily way of working with people. So it's a nice, a nice little poster around the new habit formula. So you have to buy the book, but if you buy the book, go onto the website, which is thecoachinghabit.com. You'll see where the, the email is, and you can just email us, and we'll send you those uh, PDF posters right away. Awesome. Awesome. That's that's probably a better system than people ripping pages out of the book. <laughs> Whatever works for you. You know, if, if you like to rip the things out of the book, then you just go for it. Who am I nice. to say no to that? I love it. I love it. All right, great. So we'll put all the links for that on the show notes as well so folks can track that down. Michael, uh, I really appreciate your conversation, your time, and most importantly, I really appreciate just how accessible and straightforward you've made the system and yet how powerful it is. I found many of these questions to be helpful and I'm stealing a few of them here to use in some upcoming conversations. So so thank you so much for providing that and, and being a leader to us in that way. I'm very grateful. Uh, you know, it's been a pleasure. I'm very appreciative of the community that you're nurturing here, Dave, and I thank you for letting me come and be part of it for a while. Michael Bungay Stanier is the author of The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. Michael, thanks a ton. My pleasure. Thank you again to Michael for these questions. There's many more in the book, as we mentioned. And when I first saw this book, as I mentioned in the conversation, I just love that this is so accessible. And I'm a big fan for things that are accessible, that each of us are going to remember and recall in the moment when we're sitting down with someone or a colleague, or even a customer sometimes. I know I've, you know, not even in the capacity as a coach, I've asked questions to customers that are like this when it was appropriate to further a conversation or further the relationship or help them to navigate something. So I'd really encourage you to check this out as a resource. I think it really provides a great framework for doing that. And as always, we're open to your comments, questions, or feedback on this topic or on any of the episodes in the past at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. The next Q&A show is coming up on episode number 239. And in addition to knowing about the feedback episode coming up, I'm pleased to announce again that the Coaching for Leaders Mastermind is growing and I'm accepting applications right now for new members. For sure, one way to broaden your professional skill set in the next year, not only in coaching, but in tons of other areas too, plus building your professional network is as a member of the Coaching for Leaders Mastermind. In the Mastermind, you will get coaching to encourage you not only to apply what you know, but what you may not be doing actively. And you'll benefit from continual development over time rather than just a single interaction, which coaching is almost never just a single interaction. You'll receive perspective from experience that transcends your organization and industry and our mastermind groups are dedicated to you as an individual beyond just the professional experience that you bring to the group. And you can find all the details about mastermind membership and the application. It's open right now at coachingforleaders.com slash mastermind. And applications do close on April 1st, 2016 here. For even more details on membership, check out that page and also check out the audio announcement from me that you may have already downloaded here on the feed last week. Both will go into great detail 
on everything you need to know about membership, what current member experiences have been, and how you can apply before the April 1st deadline. Again, all of that is available at coachingforleaders.com slash mastermind, and applications do close here April 1st, 2016. So if you are listening to this in the future, we'll have applications open at some point again in the future, but definitely check it out now if you are interested in applying for membership. And while you're online, if you haven't done this before, take a moment to join the weekly leadership guide. I deliver that to your inbox every Wednesday and includes my thoughts and recommendations on articles, podcasts, videos, links, all kinds of things online that I have found that I think will be helpful to you and your leadership development between the shows. It's a concise guide each week with all of those resources. And if you listen on the go like I do, it also includes a link back to the show notes for each episode as it will this week. And as a bonus, when you join the weekly leadership guide, you will get access to my reader's guide listing the 10 leadership books that will help you to get better results from others and brief summaries from me on the value of each one of those books. It's an 11-page reader's guide and a nine-minute video, plus insight on two of those books that I rely on weekly and, and think about daily, pretty much. So if you are interested in getting access to all of that, coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe is the way to do that. And a big thanks this week to Trishul Patel, and to Adam the Educator for the very kind reviews that you left on iTunes. Thank you to both of you. It's so helpful for others to find the show and for the Coaching for Leaders community to continue to grow and support all of us. Thank you so much for the reviews. If you'd like to post a review as well, it's a huge help in the growth of this community. Uh, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. It'll take you to the iTunes landing page and you can launch it from there. Or if you use iTunes, just go there and search for Coaching for Leaders. Thank you so much in advance for your support. And please do check out the Mastermind application for those of you who would like to apply. Again, coachingforleaders.com slash mastermind. Have a great week and I look forward to talking with you again next Monday. Take care.